A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Jen Tedro, a product management consultant at Pathfinder Product Labs, who is currently working with a large client on a data mesh implementation. She was only representing her own perspective in this episode. Here are my 14 key takeaways or thoughts reflecting Jen's point of view. Number one, a data mesh vendor assessment is likely to be different than almost any other vendor assessment you've done before, especially if you aren't evolving something existing. There is so much more to cover and the overall platform needs to meet your needs, integrate with how you handle data on the application side, including integrations, how you comply with your governance standards, fit within your budget, etc. That's a lot of needles to thread. Number two, spend considerably more time doing the discovery process in your data mesh vendor assessment than you would for a normal vendor assessment, especially because you're assessing multiple vendors at the same time. There are a lot of potentially hidden needs slash wants, and it is far better to surface them early. Number three, By digging deep into stakeholders' desired outcomes, you can understand what you need to deliver, but also you can get insight into driving buy-in. Address the challenges preventing them from the desired outcomes, and they will feel seen and heard. Number four, as many guests have said, lead with empathy. Change is painful, but if you are realistic with people and make them feel seen and heard, it will be much less painful. Again, feel seen and heard is mentioned a lot because this is really, really important. When speaking with potential users, 
Again, really spend the time to make them feel seen and hurt. Reflect back to them what you hurt and have them share what is their ideal state. You may not be able to fully deliver on that ideal state, but it's important to understand where they want to go. Number six, as you are learning new information, share it in a continuous stream with stakeholders so they understand the recommendations you are making kind of along the way and quote unquote at the end of the assessment. It it doesn't really end when you finish the assessment, so quote unquote end. But again, like share that information so it's not all of a sudden your recommendation comes out of the blue. Number seven, be prepared for there to be capability gaps, possibly significant, between what you want now and what is available in the market or that you are able to build in your budget. There are just a number of capabilities that aren't really part of any vendor offering at the moment. Waiting until everything is perfect will mean you are waiting for a while. And again, that's okay. This is bleeding edge. (laughs) Number eight, it's crucial to focus on what do you value most right now and also in the future when making vendor assessments. There are so many nice-to-haves with a data mesh implementation, but you'll need to compromise. Jen and team developed a good framework for evaluating offerings as to whether they fit actual needs or just wants. Number nine, the three most important aspects to meet right now for Jen and team through the self-serve platform were user experience slash low barrier to usage, number two, automation, and number three, ability to easily integrate the tools together and with their existing stack on the application side. You should look at what are your three most important aspects. Number 10, when figuring out what capabilities you need from your platform, create high-level task-based use cases, not systems requirements. This will prevent you from steering too much towards trying to serve any one specific use case or getting bogged down in tech compared to capabilities. Number 11, look to past instances of failed or underwhelming implementations of tools and processes in your organization, especially on the data side, to find the common ways implementations fail in said organization, and then work to avoid those, right? Look for those those ways that things have failed in the past and really think about this is a big, big change you want to make sure that you're you're aware of those and that you steer clear. Number 12, it is crucial to make sure everyone understands a data mesh implementation is an iterative process. You will continue to listen to feedback and evaluate how things are working and then make further improvements. It's a journey. Number 13, it will likely be tough to move forward in a data mesh implementation if you don't align your data strategy and work with your business partners to create a mutually beneficial target outcome and carve out time for teams to actually be able to deliver those data products and participate in your overall data mesh implementation. They need time to do the actual work. Make that a priority. And lastly, number 14, it's very important to provide an easy way for teams to start participating in your data mesh implementation slash journey. Just asking a team to participate won't cut it. Make it low friction, make it beneficial to them to participate. Easier said than done, but still very important to not forget. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Jen Tedro here, who is a product management consultant at Pathfinder Product Labs. Um, and she's working on a data mesh implementation for a, a client of that uh, right now. She is only representing her own opinions, but uh, you know what? When Jen and I first connected, she was having uh, <laughs> some issues, some challenges with the vendor assessment selection process, and we were exchanging information about that. And there really hasn't been a lot out there about specifically the vendor assessment process within data mesh. You know, all the vendors want to say, oh, just come buy our solution. <laughs> and, and that's your only assessment. Um, uh, but it, I think this is a really interesting conversation. It's going to make people feel a lot um, kind of seen and heard that they're having, they're going through these same challenges. So I'm excited to kind of go through what you learned from this process, what makes it so much so different for data mesh and, and all of that. But before we jump into that, Jen, if you don't mind, could you give people uh, a little bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the topic at hand? Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott, for having me on. Really excited to talk about this with you. Um, so yes, I'm Jen Tedro. I am a product management consultant with Pathfinder Product Labs. I've been a product manager for uh, the past 12 years or so. And I've worked in a lot of different areas, um, a lot of different industries, companies of all sizes. And um, throughout my product management journey, I've definitely had um, ownership over a lot of uh, data and analytics um, products. And I was really excited to um, work in the data mesh space because once I started learning about it, I realized that if this could be done well, it would actually solve a lot of the problems that I saw among the different consumers and the different stakeholders and the different end users, um, you know, grappling with the complexities of, of data and a lot of the bottlenecks that exist today. So it's been really great. And it's been definitely a learning journey, particularly this vendor assessment process. Well, and, and you know, I think the if done well part of if data mesh, <laughs> that's uh, the thing of you know, people are like, well, if, if you don't do all these things, it'll be chaos. And it's like, yes, but that's part of doing it well. <laughs> like, yeah, really, if, if we can figure out how to do a lot of this stuff. So um, let's start with that kind of, you've done multiple vendor assessments before this. So let's talk a little bit about your general process and then we can transition into what made this so different because, you know, the, as most people are finding, the data mesh vendor assessment process is kind of a whole new world. It's a whole thing in unto itself. And that is that simply because you're putting so many things together at once or is it, you know, is it that there's so many white spaces that you're going to have to fill and all that? I, I'm just super interested in to dig into that, but let's start with the general process. Yeah, great place to start. So yes, I have done lots of different vendor assessments in the past, um, and it, the process has varied uh, depending on, of, of course, the organization and their kind of rules and guidelines as, as far as how to approach that. Um, I, I would say that one of the big differences that stood out to me immediately is that data, data mesh is really very emergent. In, in the space, right? Um, there, there's a lot of great articles, um, great artifacts, uh, and, and of course the community has been a great resource as well. 
Um, but I think that the fact that it's built on really those four principles of domain-driven ownership of data, data as a product, um, self-service uh, data platform, and federated computational governance, that's that's great because it gives you kind of a guideline, but it's not a prescriptive how-to. Um, so there's a lot of theory, but there's not a lot of practical application. Um, so I think that's one big differentiator, right? So I think in some of the other areas where I've completed vendor assessments, the space has been very well understood, well articulated, and um, the requirements maybe um, a little bit more clear from the outset. And even the space is a little bit well-defined from a vendor's perspective. So, um, you know, I've, I've followed RFP processes where, you know, you kind of find some vendors and you, you send out a form and they, they fill it out, which, you know, I personally don't recommend. And we can talk about that if, if we have time. Um, and, and also um, different, more kind of high touch engagements where, um, you know, the, the requirements are very specific to the organization and their needs. And you engage the vendors to um, really kind of assess them up front to see if there's a good fit. We definitely did that with our vendor um, assessment process for the data mesh platform um, and, and followed some of the same uh, processes that I normally follow, but we did definitely run into some areas where we found uh, lessons learned where if I could have gone back and told myself uh, some advice at the end of the process, I think it would have gone a lot smoother. And I do think because it, it is such an emergent um, you know, uh, approach, uh, that that definitely contributed to that. Yeah, I, I think um, there's the what what I would take from that is that historically, with um, when you're doing a vendor assessment, it's much more about the known unknowns, and with something like this, there's a lot more unknown unknowns, right? Where you're definitely. you're trying to answer a specific question, or can I do this, and even even things that are more bleeding edge. But here, we, we're we not really sure of the capabilities that everybody needs. And each, each, each organization is going to be different to what specifically they need and when and how, how good, how aggressive or how whatever, how scalable, all of that, that it still kind of remains to be seen. So trying to put yourself into a pathway to future-proof yourself or at mm -hmm. least not put yourself into a bad spot six months down the road. It's, Absolutely. It's just, it's difficult. It's, it's so, um, let's start with kind of where, what, what were you looking at? How did you think about what's essential for the now? What's essential for the midterm, the long-term? Like, how did you start to think about <laughs> What do we really have to have out of the gate? And then like, is this going to be somebody that that's able to grow their offering for us? Or do we have to add in additional offerings later or, or how to do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so really, I would say if I had to boil down the process um, as simply as I possibly could, it would be really these, it would be under these three main buckets of discover, align and assess. Um, that's really how I start a lot of these um, uh, assessment processes. And um, really, I think your question is great because when I started this, um, there was a lot of ambiguity around what is it that we really need and what's most important now and where do we want to go? 
And so that's why spending a lot of time in the discovery process um, was was really an investment well worth it. Um, and, and I understand there's there's a couple challenges around discovery um, from my experience as a product manager, um, and not just with vendor assessments, but in general, I think that you know people tend to just want to go 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 go. <laughs> but if you don't know where you're going or what you what the, the desired outcome is, um, you could be going in a wildly wrong direction. And it could take a lot longer to get there. So um, you know, investing in the time to really deeply understand um, what are the needs, what are some of the barriers that are in place, what are the capabilities of the teams. You know, with a data mesh, you're bringing together a lot of different data from different domains. Um, and that means working with different teams and different stakeholders with differing capabilities and, and deeply understanding like what are the barriers and, and desired outcomes for those different stakeholders is really, 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 really critical. Um, so we spent quite a bit of time talking to data scientists, data engineers, product managers on data teams, different folks that had stakeholder interests within the platform itself and in the, the, the data teams, um, as well as uh, our own leadership to really get a sense for that. Um, just like what you were saying, um, this is where we are starting, but where do we want to go? And one good clarifying point may be that for this particular vendor assessment, this was really around data discoverability, um, observability, quality, and um, uh, data governance. So it wasn't um, like looking for like a um, you know like a, a cloud hosting platform for the data mesh itself. Um, those decisions had already been made. It was really more about that layer to really help um, you know enable the consumers of the mesh to to leverage the data effectively. And I think that brings up the question of how do you get that buy-in that that time is worth it? Because there, like you said, there is so many things where people want to go, go, go. And, and a lot of the, the leaders of the implementations are actually frustrated that they're kind of in, uh, that everybody else is, is putting up barriers to them. And so anytime they get a chance to, to move forward, they do. But like, how did you get that approval or, or the buy-in that that discovery is important? And it, especially even that these people are going to spend the time with you to share their context so you can serve them. I know that feels weird, but a lot of times people are like, why would I even talk to you about this? I'm, I'm doing my day-to-day -day job instead of yeah. I, I, I'm setting you up to serve me better down the road. Yeah. Well, on that last point, uh, I really can't say enough for how important it is to have empathy. <laughs> I really think that that goes such a long way. Um, I, I've actually found that um, the stakeholders and end users um, have been really very willing to to talk and share. Um, and, and I think that uh, that empathy goes a long way towards getting that buy-in from their perspective. Um, and I usually do try to go out of my way to level set and let them know that um, this is this is time well spent because I'm really invested as a product manager to make their future uh, experiences better, um, and 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 I think that that makes them a lot more willing to um, spend that time and share it share with me, um, and really just asking those questions, listening, making them feel heard, and uh, you know doing that you know not just in the moment when you're having those conversations. But, you know, taking good notes, reflecting back what you're hearing, validating what you're hearing, 
Um, and, and, and that also goes into your first question of how do you get the buy-in from, you know, kind of leadership to spend the time in the discovery area. I think it really does um, go a long way when they hear back from those end users in their own words, what the challenges are and, and what the current state is versus the desired state. So when you can kind of bring quotes back um, from, you know, the different stakeholders that, that really kind of shed a lot of light on some of the barriers and pain points, um, they re- realize that, oh, you know, we wouldn't have known unless we had spent this time to really figure this out and ask. Um, and, and we did have a lot of meetings um, that we set up with stakeholders on a regular cadence where we spent that time to actually reflect back and show those journey maps, um, show the, um, you know, the interview synopsis and um, really kind of bring them along the journey in a meaningful way so that they really understood that it's not, we're high, we're, we're pulling up <laughs> and, and doing, you know, who knows what in, in a black box, but we're, we're shedding light on some of the, the very real challenges that are preventing us um, getting the most possible value from our data. I think that um, being realistic, like sometimes people don't want to hear the real thing, but I think it's also when you can point to here are some quotes and and you always want to be careful about if somebody's overly negative to not, you know, you can directly quote them, but say, I'm going to obscure their name because they were pretty frustrated with this. But (laughs) I I used, I had uh, one boss who'd be like, you have to tell me the name, otherwise it doesn't matter. It's like, well, then I lose all trust with that person internally. So it's like protecting your sources, right? Yeah. (laughs) And, And yeah, I mean, it's kind of that empathy thing again. So, um, so let, let's go into um, the, when you were doing this discovery, what were the things that you really discovered that you, you, you might not have thought you needed, but that you did need? And maybe what's the discovery for the now and for the, the kind of midterm and the longer term? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting because obviously um, data mesh is not just about technology. And I know you. I've heard you reiterate that point several times in several different channels, <laughs> and and every time I cheer, uh, because it it really technology is such a not I wouldn't say a small piece of it, but it is a piece of of a bigger puzzle, right? Um, and it's people, process, and technology. It's it's change management is is such a huge piece of this, and um, you know, so from from a discovery standpoint, we had to be very cognizant of the fact that. We're asking these teams to really not only change the way they're ingesting and consuming data, but that also has very real impacts to their day to day. You know, kind of moving from a like very centralized, uh, siloed ecosystem to one that's you know more you know of a data data mesh approach. Um, you can't just you know snap your fingers and implement a solution and boom, you're done. Um, so we had to really kind of understand what is the current state, where do they want to go, what are the gaps, and look at it not just through the the lens of their own perspectives, but the wider lens of what what is possible with the data mesh approach, and kind of bring them along into that journey as well in a way that's non-threatening, if that makes sense. It does. And I think the you know, the whole thing with AI and people being like, oh, it's going to replace all the people. It's like, no, that, that's silly. You know, and any programmer that deals with AI is just like, 
yeah, this thing, I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures um, of blueberry muffins versus chihuahuas. And so um, AI can't tell the difference between uh, pictures of chihuahuas or blueberry muffins because like the coloring and the like little dots and stuff look very similar in those two. So like, <laughs> um, so it, it, it should be non-threatening. But um, I, I think when we look at technology, technology is not there for the sake of technology. It's there to address a challenge. And so I think mapping out, like you said, mapping out the challenges so you know what you're actually trying to accomplish is so crucial. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we did learn quite a bit of interesting things. Um, I think there was, um, you know, kind of this hope that we would just be able to look at a couple different vendors and be able to make a decision based on the, um, the, the known knowns, as, as you said earlier. Um, but, you know, digging deeper into the discovery process, we realized that, um, you know, there's varying levels of technical aptitude, really, among a lot of these subject matter experts. A lot of folks that really deeply understand the data and how to use it, they don't have the techno- techno- technological expertise of a data engineer or a data scientist. Um, and when it comes to governance and, you know, regulating access, uh, you know, being in healthcare, that's obviously very critical. Um, you know, that's that's a privacy officer. Um, you know, they're incredibly smart. They can read and, and, and create contracts, BAAs and data usage agreements. But, um, you know, if, if it's a, there's a very high barrier within the system for them to create a policy from that, then that introduces another bottleneck to where they then have to you know, work with an engineer to get that in place. That's something. So, so I guess, I, I guess um, that's a rambling way of saying it helped us define, um, really clarify our values too. And we're anchored obviously to the principles of data mesh. And one thing that we found that was, was really important and really critical to our, our, our success is lowering barriers for those consumers, for those data producers. And that meant that it, the the systems that we are considering had to have a really good user experience, um, and then we also had to look at um, how do we how do we kind of bring these disparate tools together in a way that that feels organic, which is tough. And that leads me kind of to another point where early on in the process we also realized that there's no silver bullet. <laughs> there's no silver bullet vendor that can do all of these things um, uh, in, in one full stop, right? Uh, data observability, discoverability, um, quality, and, and governance. Um, and at least not, not for, for um, our, our use cases. So it very quickly became uh, a multi-vendor assessment. And spending that time in discovery allowed us to get a very clear list of end-user requirements um, and some of those were kind of plainly stated. Some of them were inferred, like we realized that we needed to put in a lot of automation. We needed to make it accessible and easy to use for um, people of varying uh, technical abilities. And, um, and, and we needed to, to uh, figure out how to kind of weave multiple systems together for a somewhat unified experience as well. So it became a question of multiple buy and some build to augment that. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, there was a webinar with uh, Jamak and Sina Jahan, um, I think from December of last year, and they were talking about um, their a lot of different things. I think it was called like um, learning from the trenches or whatever, and that they the number of times they said we had to build our own or you have to roll your own in between the the things to actually connect them. I think people. Uh, want to look at the picture and say, okay, I, I can just drop all the puzzle pieces in. And it's like, no, like there's there's a lot of room for interpretation and the puzzle pieces are actually going to grow over time. So it's not, you're not going to have your complete picture now. Um, I think a really interesting thing for, for people could be, uh, what were those those requirements that you needed as much as you can share about, you know, when you say, okay, we needed observability and discoverability and like, but digging into that, do you have any specifics that you can share that, that you learned, especially if there were any where you were like, wow, this was not one I thought we'd need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just to back up a little bit. So we did end up kind of categorizing the vendor criteria um, into, I think four main buckets. And that would be, uh, data discovery, uh, data quality and observability, provisioning and access control. And, um, and and again, we realized that pretty early on that that we would have to kind of split that up. Um, I would say over overall, we realized that we needed to very clearly uh, articulate the, the the needs of our specific use cases. And this is where I think that people can sometimes get frustrated where there's not like a very clear one size fits all answer. But this is a piece of advice that I would give that really, really helped us. And this is one that I wish I could have gone back and told myself earlier. <laughs> um, but what we what we ended up doing um, about halfway into the process, I would say, maybe a little bit further out, was we, we actually created very high-level task-based use cases and tried to keep system context out of it. Um, this... Uh, was another thing that we were able to reflect back to our stakeholders, get validation on. Um, but we also had a very clear picture of what we wanted these systems to do. Um, and so when we started engaging the vendors, um, we made it clear that we, number one, wanted to talk through our use cases and get a clear answer on whether or not they would be able to meet them. I think most people know that salespeople will, they tend to tell you that they can do anything early on in the process. And we want, we wanted to make sure we were concentrating our time um, where it could be best spent. Right. Um, and the other thing was, you know, I, I think with, with any, um, with any process like this, you do have constraints, right. And dependencies. And so clearly articulating those and putting those front and center can help you weed out a lot of folks that, that just, you know, won't be able to meet your needs because it's not a good fit from a from a technology perspective. So we also learned early on that we should capture our data ecosystem and um, very clearly articulate, like you know, this is this is our stack, and these are the integrations we're looking for. Can you meet the, these needs? Yes or no. Um, and we also learned throughout throughout this process that we had some potential um, end users that would kind of have us move more towards like a multi-cloud interoperable environment. So we knew that that was something that we needed to look out for to your earlier question about future proofing. So we outlined all of those things that were kind of non-negotiable and very, very critical 
um, and put those right up front. So when we first reached out to the vendors with which we wanted to continue having deeper conversations with, we would get those answers to those questions and that weeded out quite a few that just you know didn't have key integrations, didn't work with our tech stack, um, or um, you know the the friendliness as far as the UI and usability just wasn't there. And how you? I mean, a lot of really really useful things in there. I think the um, the task based use case thing is is really important because Jamak has talked about this of to have a self serve platform. It can't be that it's serving a specific use case. And so like having task base of like, here's what we actually want to accomplish. It's not that this is for a specific, um, you know, data product or a specific domain or anything like that. Like this is the things that we're hearing over and over like that, I think is really helpful because you're abstracting away the very specific use case from the, like, what are we trying to accomplish when we're putting together data products and the mesh and all that? Um, the user experience piece, I think, is really, really crucial. How how did you think about that every tool does have its own complete user experience and that you might not want to be having, you know, 50 different tools that people have to go into, especially around, hey, I want to know what this data product is and if I can trust it and if it's actually meeting its SLAs. Something like that, you know, multiple panes of glass is a major pain in the ass, right? Like, <laughs> well said. <laughs> but yes. I, I mean, it really, really like so many vendors are like, but I, I should be the point solution. I should be the thing that everything else is built around. It's like, oh, oh, honey, no. Like, just right. no, that's that's not. We're, we're not there yet. Maybe maybe in five to 10 years we will be. Um, yeah. But we're, we're definitely not there now. Um, one thing, and I will say the use case exercise actually really helped us because we did, um, we, we started very simple and high level, and then we did actually build out one that was, um, that, uh, that kind of, um, folded in the different, uh, actors and end users as well. Um, so more of like a, a complex swim lane based use case rather than just task based. Um, but that was, uh, building on to those, uh, original, like very high level ones. Um, and what we were able to find is that there is in many cases, separation of the different, uh, end users and, um, and tasks, uh, not in every case, but in many cases. And so for us, the question became, okay, what's the point of entry and how do we guide people through at the right time to do these tasks? Um, like when you're provisioning data, what do we need to capture? Um, how does that feed into the data catalog? Um, when do we need to apply policy? How do we know um, what's super critical for policy versus what can be shared widely? Um, and then how do we get workflow um, tools to help guide people to the right um, to the right area and complete those tasks? And the other thing that we're really thinking about uh, now is how do we make that visible? So when um, folks are exploring the available data, they actually have the means to see how, uh, quote unquote, consumable it is, um, meaning that, you know, it has data quality rules applied, it, it is well documented, um, and, and it has policies applied. 
Um, so those are some of the things that we're, we're trying to solve for. And as we kind of move into more of the implementation process, we'll, we'll be further along that journey. But these are things we're thinking of now. And it, it really does all start from really clearly understanding the use cases and desired outcomes and then working backwards to figure out, okay, well, how do I achieve that? Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting because like um, the folks at NAV talked about what they are doing was saying, hey, if you, you know, they've got a little bit of a different situation because their data producers are more willing to share than their data consumers are to consume, which is not the typical, but. Wow, uh, that seems uh, very backward. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're in a, in a government government entity and, and people aren't that used to uh, really infusing data into all their decisions, but um, they are, even before creating anything on the, the platform side, they are um, working on, if we asked you to share your data and if we helped you to create a structure around it, how would you go about these processes? And then they're working on, on one piece that you talked about, which was automation and, and that. But I think it's just interesting to contrast the two approaches and that both are equally valid, right? Both both can work. And so it's what what works in your organization? What has been successful in implementing <laughs> large-scale projects? It hasn't been. I think yeah. that's another really important thing. That was something that we definitely asked about in our discovery process with, with those that had that experience, um, you know, when implementing similar tools or processes, um, what are some of the challenges that you've come up against with some of these previous implementations? And um, some of those really may be very unique to an organization. Um, and so, but I think arming yourself by asking those questions and being very aware of them can help you um, navigate potential pitfalls. Yeah. Um, so I've got a complicated two-part question, but that I think we can break it down relatively easily. But it's kind of which one do you want to answer first? Um, they're both about where we are now and and like are meeting where we are now and where we're going in the future. So the first one would be a lot of what you talked about seems to be that you're trying to meet people where they are now versus trying to train them up to be at the level, you know, to level them up and say, okay, we're going to expect everyone to be at this level. So we're just going to level people up. So I'd love to hear how you think about that, um, kind of how you start to approach that and how you think about the long-term data literacy, competency kind of game. But the other aspect is um, with vendors, right? They're kind of, they've got an offering for now, and then that offering is going to expand over time. So I think, how do you talk to them about what, what are our future needs? And yes, this doesn't solve everything right now, but how do we kind of fill in the gaps as necessary now? And maybe we don't put, we put in some silly putty instead of, you know, putting in some concrete <laughs> as yeah. your, your thing is expanding so we can pull it out relatively easily. But like either one of those, I think are, are really interesting avenues to go down. Which, which yeah. one would you prefer? <laughs> yeah, let's tackle the first one. So I think, I think for us, um, again, just going back to my earlier point about the intersection between um, people, process, and technology. 
right? I think we we do have to meet people where they are to start to ease them in and get them bought in. Um, and our approach has been, um, you know, I think when we when we we had a previous conversation, um, I said it's a it's a snowball, not a wrecking ball. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that that's that's really something that we wanted to keep in mind. Number one, just um, really understanding uh, where people are now, what their team structures are, um, and and really wrapping in change management as part of you know getting to where we ultimately want to go. But um, I think one of the benefits towards um, you know an iterative process is that number one, you can learn alongside them. Uh, of, of how to best implement uh, these different tools and uh, processes. Um, and then you can start to learn from from them coming along that journey, how it can be improved, what you can do. And that may be engaging vendors that may be um, augmenting that with some build, uh, you know, capabilities uh, uh, that you would do yourself. Um, but without kind of going along that journey with them, it's hard to know what to prioritize. So for us, it's really about learning the best way to move forward. And we found that um, we've had a lot of success getting uh, early adopters who are very bought into understanding the ultimate goal of where we want to go and the benefits to them, and then um, really amplifying those successes and those gains to the rest of the audience to get them excited about wanting to come along that journey with us too. Um, and, and I think the other thing is that you have to be honest about the fact that th- it will entail change and people are scared of change. So anything you can do to help lower those barriers and pain points to change is going to o- only help you. Right. And that's why we put such a premium on the user experience and making the tools accessible for, for all folks. Um, but also showing that we're actually invested and we care about what this means to them, how it impacts their day to day. And when they see that they have partners that are going to help them and help them reap benefits, the, the, the buy-in tends to accelerate. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting because what some people are having success with is that iterative process with the tooling. But I think, you know, you're involved in, in uh, you know, with a company that, doesn't have that ability to just kind of bring in and throw out tools <laughs> super easily as well. And I think that's something where some people are, are looking at it from maybe an open source only standpoint. And it might, it might be totally different from the data processing standpoint of people are kind of trying things and, and seeing, does this work? Does this not? But something that's, I feel like the the specific tooling that you were looking at is also more sticky you know, uh, the, the cataloging and the access control, especially that you don't want to be um, bringing in and throwing out access control. Software. <laughs> I do that does <laughs> not sound like a great, great uh, idea or um, process to do that. But I think it's, it's interesting that you did a lot of the work up front um, around that, because I think that's okay. I think there's a lot of organizations where they feel like, and you moved forward on kind of the self-serve platform before you moved forward on the domain ownership or the the data as a product or, or things like that, that it's okay to say, we're going to push forward on the platform 
to make sure we're in the shape to handle all these other things. And we're going to work with people. And so it is a smoother transition once we get going on those things. I think that's an interesting um, angle because there are some people that think you have to move all at the same time on, you know, all four pillars at exactly the same at the exact same pace versus taking the learnings and plowing it back in. I could not imagine trying to tackle all of that. Um, I think that that would be incredibly, incredibly tough. Um, you know, I think with with such a major change, at least for the organization um, with which I'm working, um, you know, I, I think small wins that you can really, um, you know, amplify and show the value um, and then accelerate those, um, by getting people excited and seeing the benefits that come with it, um, is really a a smart approach. And it also allows you to focus on, uh, driving towards the outcomes that are most critical as well. But that being said, I could see for a smaller organization, uh, where maybe a more all in approach could, could also be beneficial. Yeah. And I think, um, it's, it's interesting that you you're talking about kind of smaller wins or quicker wins or or things like that you know we have to balance the short term and the long term but i think what i'm finding from a lot of these conversations of people that are moving forward and having success is that you're looking for the low hanging fruit so that you can build momentum and build learning and build those success stories but that it's not we're going to try and tackle the most difficult data challenges we have out of the gate. No, I wouldn't advocate for that either. I would say it should be priority based, really. Like what what is going to make the biggest impact? Low hanging fruit doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to do or not difficult, but um, you could do something incredibly complex that doesn't move the needle for your organization and that's really not going to help your cause as far as getting folks to adopt the data mesh, right? But if people see that you're doing something that is impactful to the organization, and this is why I think it's so critical to really clearly define your goals and your desired outcomes, and furthermore, make sure that they ladder up to your company's strategies, um, that's that's how you make those critical connections and you get and drive that, that buy-in. So do you, would you then, if you're, if you're looking for where to do your first few data products or, or, you know, working with those teams, what would be the uh, criteria that you would use for that? Would it be, you said, is it biggest impact, but is it like high impact, low risk or high impact, low time to delivery or like what, what is it that, that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of things. I think you do want to go after something that is going to be impactful to the business because you want to continue to um, drive the uh, um, the adoption and 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 willingness to invest, right? Because this this is uh, data mesh requires continuous investment, right? Um, so I think that that's, that's just a smart move <laughs> to make sure you're doing something that, that, that ladders up to, um, achieving company goals and that is going to be meaningful. But the other thing to consider is, um, you know, the willingness to, um, you know, work with you on the part of the early adopters. So do you have folks that are more 
open to change and more willing to give you that time and willing to um, kind of meet you halfway as you're learning and um, putting forth all of this effort in order to implement processes that will become more long-term, more fully baked. Um, you know, you, you want to have a good partner in order to do that. And then it becomes a mutually beneficial relationship because, you know, you're able to um, amplify their wins and they're able to amplify yours. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of what I'm doing with the podcast, even of, of just like, who are the people that are, are leading forward that are, are hitting on really interesting points and things like that. And so it's good because, you know, we can show that data mesh can be done, but it's also good for hopefully for (laughs) the guests that they, they have a, a fun conversation, but it's also like, a good platform to to kind of get more people to come to them and, and realize that they um, can be helpful and exchange information that it's not one person has all the answers, but that you get more people coming your way. So I hope that's happening for guests. <laughs> From the feedback, yes, it is. I found, I found the, the episodes to be very helpful. So, you know, end of one, but I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I think... Um, you talked about the willingness to move forward with the early adopters. There's willingness and there's capability. And I don't mean even capability to execute. There's sometimes there's the the question of the capability to get the time to work on this, to focus on this, that, you know, Scott Hawkins in his episode talked about um, going to the team's managers and realigning their KPIs and doing things like that. Yeah. How did you find, like, how have you found that all working? Like, is there anything that where you can give people a little bit of guidance or, or maybe some anti-patterns and pitfalls that you ran into or anything like that? Yeah, honestly, I have to give a lot of credit to my, my leadership. Um, uh, I have a really great leader who's, you know, very visionary and very passionate about this and has a clear, I think, vision of where, what we want to achieve and he's really been um, great at, at, at driving buy-in, getting people excited about um, what the future can look like if we um, you know, are able to implement successfully. And he's been able to um, you know, uh, align strategies with other key business partners that have you know, really carved out the space and time for our teams to work together and be successful. Um, and I think that, you know, that again, this is something that will probably vary widely depending on the organization you're in, the size, the culture, how things get done. Um, you know, from, from this perspective, it was really critical that we had clearly aligned strategies across teams and that we had um, the, uh, the time carved out and understood that this was allocated towards these goals. Um, And so that's how we got such deep investment from our early adopters to help us be successful with our, with our early wins. Um, And I I assume for us that that similar process will continue. We'll, we'll advocate, we'll continue to kind of raise visibility of what we've been able to accomplish. And again, with a data mesh, you know, the more data you're ingesting, the more valuable it becomes. And so we're trying to get people, um, you know, excited about the possibilities and continue to um, align their strategies with ours and, um, you know, hopefully achieve really exciting things. Yeah. I, I think 
that's the the well so many people are having issues with incentivization, right? Especially of yeah. developers and things like that. And it's like, yeah, you're asking them to learn a whole new thing or, or whatever. But I think that's really important to, to have that, like, no, we actually went to their, their, um, you know, their actual KPIs. And we said, we're going to realign this. We're going to give them the time to do this, to do this right. And to work with us. And then, you're paying them off, right? So they become your your advocates by by right. amplifying their successes, and and I think it's important from a, a career perspective as well. Of okay, well, you know, Jen, you're you're saying to everybody that we had this huge success, but we had this big success, and it didn't mean anything for the manager of that team or anything like that. That's another thing of like that the this is actually proven that it's valued, so more people are bought in. I think that's an important point to, to really think about that. And that's why there's a lot of people that are trying to do it as skunk works, trying to do data mesh as skunk works. And I just don't I couldn't think imagine that. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't imagine that. Um, again, maybe with a, a smaller company where with somebody that has a lot more autonomy across multiple teams, maybe, but then, you know, I, I, I struggle to see the long-term success because I think that it's really critical um, and, and again, I think this is where my leadership has been very successful that, you know, he's able to like, you know, paint that compelling vision of here's, you know, he, here's a very stark contrast between, um, you know, the way things were and the way things could be come along this journey and reap the benefits. Um, I think that's just been such a, a critical thing about changing hearts and minds, right? And getting people excited and willing to um, embrace the pain of change um, in order to, to reap the benefits of change. Um, and I think that you do need to be able to have that, that clear or clearly articulated vision, but also you need to help them along the journey. And that's something that we've been figuring out as we go, right? Um, obviously, empowering data teams to take ownership and, and you know, be autonomous, that's, that's a goal. But we've also realized that we have to help them get there. And it is a journey and, and it's going to take time. Um, and we, we really were very invested in making our business partners successful. And I think that they realize that we have this symbiotic relationship where it's, um, you know, we're, we're not trying to throw them on new technology and new ways of doing things without, you know, being very invested partners to help them navigate that. Yeah. And I really liked what you said there about the, um, make them willing to accept the pain of change. And I think that's, again, the empathy of <laughs> change is painful. So we're, we're, we fully understand that. Like, let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about why we are doing this, not fall in line. It's like, it's the difference between kind of, you know, kind of shoving somebody or, or tugging them, you know, and saying, come on, you're going this versus like taking them by the hand and saying, hey, this has a reason. Why are we doing this? Like, let's talk about this. And I understand that this is difficult and we we have a reason for it. But I also have the empathy for you that while we have a reason, it's not that that doesn't mean that it's just you should you're just going to accept it. Right. I think that's or that we won't support you along the way. Yeah. And it help you and help you. Um, with change readiness and um, adoption. Um, you know, that was something that, again, came out of our discovery process was that 
Um, you know, these, these teams, the way they're structured, it, 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 I don't think very, very many teams are just ready to, you know, full stop adopt data mesh. <laughs> they need help. So um, I think, you know, you do, you have to have that empathy and you have to be willing to ask those questions and figure out where do these teams need support? What is most critical? Wrap that into your process. Make sure you're accounting for those needs and, you know, continue to follow up and, and, and make sure that you're engaged with how it's going and, and how you can um, help. And I think that goes to kind of that, that um, second part of that, that earlier question, um, you know, make sure that you have good partnerships established with the vendors that you select so you can pass that feedback on to them and help them, you know, improve their products by sharing your experiences and and those of your end users and bring your end users into those conversations when appropriate and and able um, so that they can get a a good understanding of how data mesh is being utilized and leveraged in in a real world situation. Again, because it's so emergent, these these platforms, these, these tools, these systems, they won't be able to improve unless they get that level of feedback. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. I think uh, being able to actually listen and keep actively listening, it wasn't that the vendor selection was a one-time listening event, right? No. That you're, you're creating no. this, this environment to, you're sharing your, your knowledge and your information in, internally. Part of that is is the actual, you know, kind of what we think of as the data and sharing the data. But part of it is is also just like, what's working, what's not, like sharing best practices, all that stuff of creating that kind of everybody is in it together and that this is a society type of yes. thing and good societies function in certain ways. And that's through sharing and helping and and all of those things. So I Absolutely. think it's it, it's very useful. So, and I appreciate you kind of bringing it back to the um, original topic of, of kind of where where does this all fit in with the vendor assessment and things. I think a, a good place to to potentially wrap up on is like you, you gave a couple of things that you would um, that you wish that you could go back and tell yourself to, to prevent a lot of issues. If somebody were to come to you, uh, well, in, in our first conversation, you know, I know you you kind of visibly relaxed throughout the entire conversation because you were like, "Am I the only one that that hasn't, <laughs> isn't, isn't that hasn't figured out?" How exactly we do data discovery. And I'm like, oh, no, no, that, that's in most of the conversations I have. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, so, you know, you are not alone. These, these challenges that you're having are the same as across many, many different organizations. But is there any advice or any just feedback or anything where somebody who's going through this vendor assessment, um, where, where do you recommend that they start? It sounds like you've got your, your, planning around like really spend more time on discovery than you would think. And then, you know, it, it'll start to come into place, but set yourself up to uh, evolve in that type of stuff. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's kind of what I, I took from earlier, but I, I, I'd love to hear in your own words. Like, what would you tell somebody who's like early in their journey or maybe even kind of three, six months behind where you are right now? of like, okay, we think we've figured out a lot of these things, but we're still not 100% there. What, what would you tell people in that space? Yeah, I, I would say definitely the discovery piece is important. And I think that there's a couple things to look for there specifically. 
understand the current state, understand the desired state, um, understand the current pain points, capabilities, team structures that are in place that would inform the the ultimate success of the implementation of any tool. Um, I I would highly recommend uh, going through the exercise of doing the task-based use case, again, trying to keep system context out of it as much as possible so you can take that and use those in your um, conversations with vendors to kind of um, have a great way to really suss out whether they're a good fit and they can meet um, the, the the activities that you're really trying to accomplish. Um, I would say the other thing is to really understand, and this will of course vary depending on uh, the organization, but really understand like the sourcing process, um, what that engagement looks like. Um, obviously understand any constraints, whether it's budgetary, um, whether it's technical, uh, team, team related, anything like that. And wherever there are hard requirements, make sure there's nothing wrong with putting that in the initial email to a vendor and saying, if you can't meet these, let me know. And not, 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 not continuing to engage like the, what, what I think is helpful is anything that can help you determine who are the right folks to talk to. And the biggest help from that perspective is being very clear about our, um, our, our data stack and our, the integrations that we needed. And, um, also walking through those use cases in the initial, um, meeting that we had with them. Um, and the other thing that I would say, once you get further in the process and you maybe are trying to choose between a couple different vendors, when you're asking for directional pricing, cause that often can be the, 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 um, one of the deciding factors, right? So let's say like everyone's kind of passed your your critical criteria. You have a couple good options. Typically it comes down to cost, right? <laughs> like let's just be real. Um, make sure that you're keeping your um, criteria as apples to apples as you possibly can. And I know that, you know, different, different um, organizations have different pricing structures. Just try to keep them uh, as similar. Don't wildly differ between like if it's user-based or whatever, keep the users the same when you're asking for directional pricing so you can actually get a decent comparison. Make sure that you're keeping all of that, you know, as similar as possible so you can fairly compare uh, when it comes down to that. And the other thing I would recommend again, uh, just to put a fine point on it, make sure you're reflecting back your progress to the stakeholders so they understand what you're putting into it and what you're learning and it gives another, you know, avenue for, for additional feedback, validation. Oftentimes in those meetings, I would find another person that somebody would point me to to talk to. Um, and that only adds and helps um, make sure that you're covering all of your bases. So I know that was a very long answer. So, um, but that's that's what I would say. That's exactly what I think people are looking for. I don't, I don't, I think you laid it all out in good points. So I, I don't think that's uh, <laughs> long in any way that's uh, uh you know, not what, what exactly I was looking for. So thank you so much for, for that. Um, we talked about a lot of different things today. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think would be, uh, that you'd like to wrap up on, or is there any way you'd want to kind of, I mean, I think we, that was a good way to wrap it up, but I, (laughs) I want to make sure that I offer it up. If you've got anything that we didn't cover that you think is important for people to really think about. I, I would say just um, one more point at the end, make sure that you share the results of the assessment as well. 
Um, one thing that we found that was really um, helpful, having a lot of different criteria um, that we used and having multiple vendors involved, we actually um, came up with a, a stoplight assessment. Um, and I have to give credit to um, a colleague of mine for coming up with that, but just basically red, yellow, green, red being not suitable, yellow being moderately suitable, green being very suitable. So we could color code it and show basically a matrix of all of the criteria, the vendors, and where they fell based on um, the stoplight criteria. So we were able to visualize back to the stakeholders, you know, after we, um, you know, went through this process, this is where the um, different vendors fell and here's why. And when we talk through our recommendation, um, you know, make sure that you are able to um, give good reasons for why you're recommending moving forward with the vendors that you're recommending. But again, I think the, the point is throughout the process, make sure that there's regular um, avenues to be able to reflect back what you're learning and then what you're doing next. And at the end, make sure you share all of that work that you did so that people understand what went into it and that it was a well-considered process. And, and again, that just helps to drive the buy-in uh, behind the decision-making. And I think it could be, if I could extend that a little bit, even going back to those individual stakeholders that you talked to and said, hey, here was why we chose this because it, it, it did serve this. Or, hey, we know that this is important to you. It's not in the V1.0. Be prepared that it's not going to be there. We're, we're going to commit to trying to help you there, but it's not in the tooling. So we'll have to do a little bit of rolling our own or we might have to do it a little bit manually. Absolutely. Communication is is so critical and, and throughout this process, especially being that it's complex, it's an emergent approach, right? Data mesh is emergent um, and that the vendor space in some areas is, is very saturated and some not so much um, and there is no silver bullet. It will probably be a lengthy process. It may be a little painful. Um, so having those avenues of communication just lets people know what you're doing, what you're learning gives them the opportunity to um, point you in other directions where you may be able to learn and, and understand more. And it also makes sure that they're aware that you are putting a lot of thought and effort into it because the last thing you want to do is say, I'm doing discovery and then go dark for like, you know, a month or however long that doesn't, that doesn't make anybody feel good. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think this has been uh a very fun conversation as well as very useful for, for myself and for the audience. So I, I really appreciate it, Jen. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, kind of follow up, what's the best way to do that? And, and what would you like them kind of following up with you about? Sure. Um, yeah. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm just uh, in slash Jen Tedrow. Um, and uh, if anybody has questions about, um, you know, this process, or if they're kind of struggling with it themselves, want to chat about it a little bit more, um, definitely happy to do so. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for the time today. And thank you everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Jen Tedrow, a product management consultant at Pathfinder Product Labs. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking 
into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.